Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Amen. Uh, well, we to this morning... Uh, are going to wrap up uh, the series that we've been tracking together um, called The Classics. And this is Classics Volume 2. Volume 1 was last summer. And with this, we've just been getting into some of the classic stories of the Old Testament. Um, as a church, as a people, uh, we spend a lot of time in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, seeing what, what Jesus had to say, seeing how, how the early church uh, process what it meant to be alive in Christ, what it meant to do ministry as as people who are who are alive in Jesus. That we are now um, not living under the old covenant, but we're living as the children of God uh, and made right by Jesus and Jesus alone. And we spend a lot of time um, looking at that, and that is what our our normal time of ministry is. But the the Old Testament, we didn't ch- take it out of our Bibles and chunk it. Um, it is very much a part of that, and it was pointing towards Jesus. It was showing us that God had a plan, and he was moving forward, and that so we would recognize the plan. When it showed up, we'd recognize Jesus, and, and we see these, these people operating in faith and living by faith and, and connecting with God just in a point of trusting him. And I tell you what, uh, if there's been a season of our lives as the children of God that we need to trust God, I'm telling you, it's now more than ever that we need to, to listen to him. Um, I don't know about you, but um, you know, you, you try to be informed, um, but sometimes it feels tough. It feels tough on just trying to get information and, and listen to what voice do I listen to, who's right, which medical professionals are right, which this and which that is right. And so I, I, I'm thankful that we've got the voice of the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to direct us in the middle of this as we, as we are just pursuing loving God and loving others. And here's what I wanted to remind us as a church. That is our highest call, is to love God and to love others. And so in all of this, in all of this, let's be loving, let's be patient. Uh, maybe somebody that you care about has a little different view on what things, how things are happening. Be loving and patient with them. Uh, maybe people are responding a little different than you. Be loving and be patient with them. Lift them up in prayer. And so we don't want this to be in any shape, form, or fashion an opportunity for the enemy to create a division. God's called us to be unified together. Well, anyways, as we look at the scriptures today, we're going to go back and we're going to the classic of all classic stories. We're going to be looking at the fall of humanity. I know we talk about the life and resurrection and, and Jesus is restoring us, um, but we got to see why that's so important, why resurrection is so important, why death being defeated is really, really, really good news, why the fact that Jesus came to give us victory over sin and shame and all that different stuff, why that is so vital and how that gets back to the very beginning of the story. And so as we go through, if you've been in church for any length of time, you are familiar with the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity. You're familiar with it. But as we delve into this story again, 
praying that we'd be able to see with fresh eyes. I pray that we'd be able to see that grace has been at work all along. Grace isn't a New Testament thing. Grace is who God is and always has been and always will be. And so we have to see that from the very beginning. We see it's his nature. It's who he is. We've been looking and kind of leading off with this idea. Um, and so the, this week, it's, it's going back to the garden and that the Garden of Eden shows us what it means to know God better and to trust him more. And we've been launching with Hebrews 12.1, um, that therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, or those who have gone before and have lived lives of faith and, and show us what it looks like, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We need to be able to have this understanding, this, this cheering on, these people who've gone before and said, man, you can, you can do this. You can trust God. You can live for God. You can face difficulty and, and tension and unknown from a place of peace and triumph in God because they've gone before and we have their stories and we have their victories as reminders that we've got a God who's still bringing victory into our lives today. And so, but before we get into the whole fall and death and, and eventually the, the, the beautiful story of resurrection and life in Christ, we have to understand why on earth did death need to be dealt with eventually? Why did it need to be dealt with? And the reason, the reason that death needed to be defeated was, that, was because it had captured it had captured God's beloved. Death had come in and captured God's beloved. It had captured you and I. It captured all of humanity. See, folks, you and I weren't wired for death at the beginning of creation. We weren't built for it. We were built to live. We were built to, to, to just go and go and go. We weren't built for death. That is why death is so creepy to us. Death is so weird to us. Death of a loved one is so painful to us because God built us in the Garden of Eden and wired us to say hello and never say goodbye. That's why goodbyes that are long goodbyes, we're gonna have to be apart from somebody for a long time. They're so hard. We're not wired for that. We're wired for community and connectedness and to be apart and we're not wired for that. God created us in pre-fall to be able to live. And then this thing called death came in and created all these points of separation. And we're just not built to be able to handle it. And we look here and we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start here in verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. He was not alive, and then he was alive. Um, I don't know what your take is. I don't know if you, somebody kind of drug you to church and, and kind of where your theological perspective in all of this is, um, but, but for me, for us who, who take the scriptures as, as the truth, uh, we believe that there was a creation moment, and we believe that God created uh, man, and he created man and breathed life into man and that Adam was not alive and then Adam was all of a sudden alive and here we see the very the one and only mouth-to-mouth -mouth suscitation 
It wasn't resuscitation because Adam had never been alive. So here God breathes, takes his breath, breathes it into Adam's nostrils and suscitates him. Suscitate is a real word. That's why we have resuscitate. And so resuscitate is to excite or to call to being or to call to life. And so in here we have God suscitating humanity. And so humanity is alive and Adam is created and God formed him and breathed into him. And then immediately he's there. He exists in this world. Prior to this, we see in creation that all of these different things have been done. And and Adam gets placed in a place where everything's already provided. Okay, It's not like God creates Adam and then, and then he hears Adam's stomach growling and goes, oh my goodness, I better create a tree um, because he's got a need. No, the trees already existed in the point of creation. There was already stuff for Adam to eat. There was already fruit. There were already these different things. We see here from the garden that God is already provided. He places you, he provides for you, okay? So if you wanna make sure that you walk in God's placement for your life, because when God places, he provides. And so as we see that as Adam has been placed, he gets the tour. And like any, you know, good landlord or whatnot, you know, you show the amenities, you show what's there. And so we see that God has created Adam, shows him around. Here's the garden. Here's this place. Here's that. We learn where the rivers are, even points out where the gold is. Hey, the gold is up here at the headwaters of this river, and it's good. And so it goes around and shows him around. Um, and then we catch up in verse 16. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, You're, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. There was, in the tour, there was the pointing out, there was the tree of life. And there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You would think that it was the tree of life and the tree of death. Well, guess what? It was eventually death. And, but because... Death comes with this place of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, but here is Adam being told, here's where, the, here's where life is, and here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, Adam lived in a place where there was all provision, everything was good, no sickness, no coronavirus, no COVID, no any of this mess. He was he was in his, his perfect environment. Everything was provided for. He had not had any kind of negative thing. It was life and life only. There was no death or cursing or any of, or any of that that existed. And in here, he, uh, God, as he's giving Adam the grand tour, he says, don't eat from, you can eat from any of it, but don't eat from this one because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The eventual outcome of having the knowledge of good and evil is that death is going to be inevitable. He gives him a heads up and he, and he lets him know what's going on. Now as Adam is there and in the garden, he's, the scriptures go on to, to tell us, it's not in your notes there, uh, but goes on to tell us in verse 18 that God says it's not good for man to be alone. I think we need to remember that 
that outside of sin, outside of fall, outside of the, the, the destruction, there was still this place that, it was, that something needed to be addressed in the Garden of Eden. And that was the fact that man was alone. We were created for community. We were created to be connected. We thrive best in community. Now, some people need a large community. They the, have the big life, outgoing, never meet a stranger. And then there's other people who are a little more introverted, who have their core community, have, have a handful of tight, strong friends. But all of us are called, whether we're wired as introverts or extroverts, we're all called to community. I think this is one of the things we need to remember in the middle of all of this pandemic thing is that we need to not let it isolate us from the people that God has called us to connect with. We have to be smart, we have to be wise, we have to be prudent on all those things, but we are called to connect in community and we need to make sure that we don't let that slip. It's not good to be isolated. It's not good to be quarantined forever, okay? If you've got to be quarantined for 14 days for whatever because you need to, well, then you need to. But you know what? As soon as there's a green light, man, I'm telling you, connect with people. Get with people. Get with the people of God. That's what we have to be able to do this and to do life. And then we see, since it wasn't good for man to be alone, that God creates woman. He creates woman and presents woman to, to man. And here they are in the garden and they're in this beautiful, perfect place. And Adam receives her and he says, you're a bone of my bone and you're flesh of my flesh. You are me. And we are connected and they were alive. And there was this beautiful moment we see in Genesis 2, 25. And it says, and, and the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Like, of course they felt no shame. They're the only people on the planet. You know, their husband and wife, God created. God did the first little, little introduction of man and wife. And he, there they are. They're the only two. They're married. And so, and all of us, even in the church, we understand that if, you, if you're married, you can be naked and there is no shame. You got a good old married naked time. And there ain't nothing wrong with some married naked time. And so... And we understand that. We understand that in, in the scriptures. But he, here they were, the scriptures go on to, because this is an important thing for us to stand, understand, is that they were naked and they felt no shame. Because in just a little bit, it's going to be the same two people on the same place in the same environment. And things are going to shift significantly. They're going to shift significantly. Years ago, we went to a big youth event, and uh, there's about 8,000 teens there. And um, so in, the, in them presenting the gospel, they, they, tell the, the, they tell the creation story. And so and everything's done tastefully and whatnot, but as they're reading and just going through the scriptures, um, then they get to this part of the, of the story. We have 8,000 teenagers all in an environment, and it says, and the man and the woman were naked, and you could not even hear the person finish out the scripture because 8,000 teenagers go, woo! as soon as you say they're naked. 
And so they just went off the rails. And I'm like, what? What is that thing? What is that thing? They said they naked and felt no shame, but then there's all this, woo, with all the little 14, 15-year-olds. And so that's because on, in our world, we are on the other side of the garden. We're on the other side of the, the bite of good and the knowledge of good and evil. And yes, God created man and woman naked and there was no shame and there was nothing wrong with it and there's nothing wrong with the naked human form in and of itself. But as soon as the mind awakens to the improper use of the naked human form, as soon as it awakens, nothing actually has to happen. All of a sudden, just the imaginations begin. Then all of a sudden, then that little response at a Christian event, then all of a sudden it just comes welling up out of these 8,000 teenagers. And it's that same thing. There's a knowledge of good and evil. The married naked time is good. God created it for that. But that's not the only place that the naked human form is utilized and there's some places that are not of God and it is, falls within the realms of evil and we have to be willing to let God define what is life-giving and what is not life-giving. We have to let God define that. And so and as soon as the mind begins to awaken to these different things, that's when things begin to go off the, off the rails. And in fact, we see in Genesis chapter three, verse 22, says, and the Lord God said, the, the man has now become like one of us. As Adam and Eve both partook, Eve gets a raw deal uh, in this because she happened to reach out first. Um, and, and sadly, in, in, in too many uh, relationships, um, it's always the, the wife having to be ma- taking the initiative. And so she takes the initiative, and then Adam goes along, and there, there needs to be a stronger partnership. There needs to be a stronger togetherness. And in just in marriage and in life and in married relationships. And so, and Eve, because she takes the initiative, she, she's the one that tends to get the bad rap on that. But Adam was right there. Adam participated. And it says, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. There was this possibility that he could have gone on buffet style, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, awaken to the evils that are capable to humanity and then eat from the tree of life and live forever disconnected from God. So God begins to immediately intervene and says, lest he reach out and live forever in that state. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim with a flaming sword. He put heaven's SWAT team right there at the Garden of Eden. 
Like you got this, this, this big angel with a flaming sword <clears throat> flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And growing up, nobody told me this. Nobody said, you know, that this was the, this, the you know, that they got the big eviction. And, but I always read it that here they disobeyed God. So God says, you ain't living in my place anymore. Get out of here. He kicks him out of the garden. He sits there and God's mad and he's sulking. He's like, you I can't believe you disobeyed me. And he chunks them out. The NIV, the translation we just read, uses the word banished. Um, You look at the original language, um, banished is not a very good translation of that word. Um, The best word for that is sent. He sent Adam out. Didn't banish him, he didn't kick him out, didn't didn't get the first eviction ever. He, he, they, he was protecting them. He says, unless they eat from the tree of life and live forever in this state, we got to get them away from this tree of life. Get them out of here. It was an act of grace. It was an act of protection to be able to do that. Because now, we will, as soon as death came in, Adam didn't know it, but God had a plan that death was actually gonna be a window for us to step over from death back into life. As soon as they ate of that, they stepped over into death. But when, when death came in, there was this period you and I call mortality. This period of mortality where we go birth to however long we live, there is a window open where we have access to both life and death, blessing and cursing. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says they're laid before us and we need to choose a life. But we have this, this place, mortality. Our mortality is the only place where we have access to both. And that's why you and I will see things out of humanity that represent heaven itself. We'll see acts that we're like, man, that reminds me of, my, of our Father God. People who are selfless and, and, and are willing to care for others and do those things. And then we will see out of humanity stuff that represents hell itself. It represents death and evil itself. And we're like, oh my gosh, how? Why? Why is this allowed? Folks, the reason is because this, had we eaten from the tree of life, it would have been nothing but the hellacious part. They've been stuck. But because we have both life and death, we have access to it in this period of mortality, it gives us as individuals the choice to step over from death back into life. And then when mortality, our mortality ends, we will either be in death or life. But we have during this time, and as long as we are still breathing oxygen, We're still dealing with it. That's why we don't say yes to Jesus and step over from death into life and then never face a problem ever again because we are in a period of mortality. We're on a planet right now that, thank God, we have the opportunity to step over, but we're still here. And so when mortality ends, we're now on, can be on the life side due to Christ or we'll stay where we started on the death side. See, the truth is, is there was something worse than disobedience. Being stuck away from God, that was what was the worst thing. 
that was what was the worst thing. Because the truth is, is that, that even though, even though when sin entered in, and we begin to see things, family life, everything begin to, to have the tension of each of us as individuals having the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. See, when they did not have the knowledge of good and evil, they still chose to disobey God and choose something that was not life-giving. As soon as now they have the knowledge of it and that will to choose, we'll choose death at different points in our lives over and over and over again. And yes, you know what? The truth is, if some of us have been alive long enough, we've seen some people make some, some difficult decisions that hurt us. Some people made some, some not healthy decisions that hurt us. But the truth is, we can also say that there were places that we were in the driver's seat and we made decisions that were not life-giving. We made decisions that were hurtful to ourselves and hurtful to others that had what influenced or impacted by anybody else at all. We just, in our selfishness and our self-centeredness, we brought that and we made that choice. And see, and, and that thing that's alive in us, that had to be dealt with. And Jesus came so that we could step over from death into life and be new again. That is the whole purpose of all this. Because the truth is, is that man, once the fall hit, we see that Cain kills Abel. We see murder begin. And so, and it probably began, and we think it just maybe the first little bit of family life, it might have looked something like this for Adam and Eve right after the fall. Adam, does this goat skin make me look big? Looks better on you than the previous owner. What? I'm having a hard time losing these last few pounds and sparing your children, and that's the best you can do? I look better than a goat? Thanks. Babe, you know you are the most beautiful woman on the planet. Mm. What? I'm the only woman on the planet. Well, I can't help that. You know, and it's amazing that as the only woman on the planet, you still can't seem to remember my birthday or give me flowers once in a while. Well, I did give you a rib. Oh, right. I forgot about that since you haven't mentioned it for an hour. It's like your free pass to never lift a finger for me again. Never lift a finger? I am out there busting my rear all day. Food just doesn't pop up from the ground. I have to get it with the sweat of my brow. Since someone went and got the ground cursed. You think farming's hard? Try raising those kids. Try giving birth. Well, if someone wouldn't have taken advice from a talking reptile. Oh, here we go. Are you talking to me, little snake? What? Oh, jump off a bridge? Oh, I would, but they haven't been invented yet. Oh, eat this fruit? Well, you look like a pretty trustworthy snake. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, well, we were until you went and pretty much ruined it for all of mankind, so good job with that. I seem to remember you taking a bite, too. Well, I thought I was eating from the tree of the knowledge of restfulness and serenity. Right. It's never your fault. Besides, what was I going to do with a fallen wife? That would just be weird. Oh, you fell for me? You're an idiot. Idiot? I named every single animal. Right. Great job with that. A, a prairie dog's not a dog. A seahorse isn't a horse. And a bald eagle isn't bald. Well, I was going pretty fast. Aardvark? 
platypus? Okay, they were at the back of the line. Not everything can be cat or rat or bat. Hippopotamus? Yeah, well, woman was taken. Okay, how many gorge do you have back there? That was a joke. Not good for men to be alone. <sighs> no, it's great. Hopefully your uh, family life doesn't look like that. And uh, if it does, uh, there's a prayer request form on your seat. And, uh, but, uh, but the truth is, is that as soon as that place where humanity's willfulness and selfishness began to just be let go, um, we've seen death and destruction and pain ever, ever since. And so, but God from the very beginning, from the very beginning had planned and plotted our rescue. See, God didn't discard us there in the garden. You know what? He could have, he could have just said, you know what? Uh, Boy, this went off the rails quick. Um, I'm done. Let's start over. But God decided that he was going to bring a place of restoration for us. He wasn't going to discard us. And his plan goes way back to creation itself. It's not something that he came up with and, and kind of left humanity alone and, and went to some far reach of the cosmos and scratched his head and say, how can we fix this? No, at creation itself, there was already a plan. And we look in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, and, and uh, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the, founda- <clears throat> from the creation or the foundation of the world. Jesus is the lamb of God who was reckoned slain, who was already chosen to step in and be the, the, the person who would make things right for humanity. He, his death actually took place in the heart of God way back then. Way back then, when humanity went off the rails, that was where God decided that Jesus was going to come in and set things right. And from there forward, he had to begin to get humanity in a place where when Jesus did it, that we would recognize it. Because just like we had to make a decision, to, that humanity had to make a decision to step over from death to life, and they had to choose to eat from that, we have to choose to receive Jesus. We have to choose to embrace that. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God was at work doing things that, was, that the enemy, that Satan, that, that everybody else was completely oblivious to. Scriptures say that if the enemy had figured out what was going on, he wouldn't have crucified Jesus. If he had a thought that, that in Jesus' being nailed to the cross was going to release humanity from the hold of death and sin, he never would have done it. But God made a selfless decision to undo our selfish decisions. He went in and he let it all come upon himself when all we want to do is push everything off on everybody else. God began to do things completely counterintuitive to broken, sinful humanity to begin to bring life where there was only death. See, Jesus entered our death story to rewrite it into a life story. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
died for the ungodly, for, the, for, the, for those who are as far away from God as you can imagine. That's what ungodly means. We have to understand that. We may could say that, that, that Jesus died for those who were trying, who were trying to be good, just couldn't quite make it. No, he died for the ungodly who were as far away from God. You define God over here, they're the complete opposite. They're un-God. They're as far away from him. And he died for them. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still just doing it, hurting ourselves, hurting others, living selfish, selfish, self-centered lives, Jesus comes in and makes everything right. That's God's demonstration of the love. He didn't wait for us to be able to show some signs of remorse, to show some signs that we wanted to try to make things right. He makes things right while we are still not caring at all. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This has been said so many different times and it has to be pounded into our heads that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. So many times we can begin to look at, at, at that the brokenness part and if we could just act a little better and be a little better, then life would be a little bit better. God did not come to just make things a little bit better. He didn't come to help bad people be good. He helped come to make dead people live. We were dead. That was why we, we, everything was broken at its core. And that's why our decisions kept being broken. And the best that we could do wasn't enough. Somebody gives themselves fully to, their, to trying to make life as good as they possibly can. And if they're honest, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. The frustration you feel, the person who tried to create their best life now is still frustrated. That's because it can't be found outside of Christ. It cannot be. It doesn't exist. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what comes with it. Choosing our way, going our own direction, there's death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And John 5, 24 says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death into life. That's the whole point of Jesus. See, the truth is, is the light does you no good if you isolate yourself from the light. Years ago, we lived in a, while we were traveling, we lived in a motorhome and, and it had uh, blackout curtains on it. And you pull these blackout shades and there in the bedroom stuff, it was just black as night at two o'clock in the afternoon. And man, which made for some amazing napping. Um, but what was the problem is, is that, you know, normally the sun comes up and it's kind of an awakened, tells your brain to wake up and get up. Um, but man, we pull those at night and uh, we look at our clock, we know we wake up, we think we're waking up at a decent hour and it would be 10.30, 10.45. We're like, oh my goodness, we've just slept a big chunk of the day away and we were clueless to what it was. The sun was out, everything was shining, but we were isolated from it and it didn't produce in our lives what it should 
have produced. And, and you, have to, you have to turn towards it. Jesus came and brought the light into our lives. See, John 20, verse 14 says, this is the lady who meets Jesus there at the point, uh, at the, the resurrection. It says, at this moment, she turned around and, and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And as he spoke her name, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. See, Jesus had come to her. Jesus was right there with her. And at one point in her franticness, she turns around, notices him, fouls him off as the gardener and begins to tra- just begin to look around. And finally, finally, whenever he calls her name and she turns toward him, that's when she begins to recognize it. See, Jesus had come to her. She just needed to turn toward him. Folks, this is the beauty of the, the story of resurrection, of life, of us being able to step over from death into life is he's come to us. We just need to turn towards him, be able to receive that in its full. Ephesians chapter five, verse 14 says, for it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. John 1246 says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. John 8, 12 says, then Jesus spoke again to the people and he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Here is the truth, is Jesus is not just the way. Jesus is the destination. He is where we're going and how we get there. Jesus is not just the truth. He is the revealer of truth. He is the one we're learning about and he is the one who is helping us learn. He is it. He is not just the life giver. He is life itself. Folks, our bottom line today is that Jesus is everything we need and the way we get it. It's all connected in Christ. We needed life. We had chosen death. I know we can try to blame it on Adam and Eve and try to blame it on that back there, but folks, the truth is, is our own willfulness, we've done it, and we're each dealing with our own death choices on a regular basis. But Jesus came that we may have life and be genuinely, truly new. Genuinely, truly restored. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.